Well, Alex, thanks for joining me. Of course, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, for making the drive over from uh, <laughs> from Miami and uh, came a couple miles north, and you're like, "Oh, it's freezing out." It's really <laughs> cold. And um, sorry for my geographic ignorance. I didn't know we we're on the other coast of Florida. Yeah. Until this morning. Really? <laughs> no clue. I was like, "Oh, okay, we're going that way." <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I guess Miami is kind of like its own little. Yeah, own little it's its world. own country yeah. almost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, cool. So you're uh, you're joining me. You're the CEO of the Registry of Aruba. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about the Registry of Aruba. Of like, course. You know, where wh what's it all about? Where did it get started? And and what do you guys provide? So we are an aircraft registry, um, and basically what we provide is aircraft registration services. Uh, for those that might not know what that is, I kind of explain it as the DMV for cars. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we basically, we're a private entity that partnered with the government of Aruba to kind of offer this service. Okay. So I'm not a representative of the Department of Aviation. We're just like their private entity partner. Um, and we do kind of all the marketing part of the registry, all the uh, customer relationships, and also kind of the administrative work. So okay. we prepare like a whole package to hand over to the department for them to review and kind of sign off on and then give the certificates to the clients. So we kind of act as an expediter between the client and the departments of aviation to kind of make it so that we can provide the service that we promote. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, if I, if I were a, an aircraft owner, I went and bought a new aircraft, um, you know, typically, especially being in the States, there's a lot of unregistered right. aircraft, right? And so what's the, what's the, I guess, the big difference between, you know, going and getting an unregistered aircraft and going with uh, registry of Aruba? So when people ask me that question, I usually say like, it's really up to the operator, but honestly, time is money. And a lot of our clients are coming to us because of the resource of time. Okay. Uh, so with the FAA, like while they're a very um, easy registry to register your aircraft and very economical because they're only charging you like $5, <laughs> um, it's uh, a lot of our clients are ultra high network individuals that don't have the time to kind of do the paperwork for themselves or to wait for the FAA to kind of get to their application form. Um, the other thing that the FAA doesn't provide is they usually won't give you your airspace approvals all at once. Okay. So when you register the aircraft with us, you're given like the full package of everything that you need to kind of, once you're done, you can take off and fly. Uh, so a lot of times an airspace approval can take like four months. Um, okay. And that will limit you into which airports you can fly into or which airspace you can fly into and things like that just kind of put a damper on your operation. Okay. Uh, that we do not. Like we've registered aircrafts in a weekend. Okay. Basically. Uh, so if you need kind of service in terms of speed, that's usually when you come to us. That's why we kind of cater ourselves more as like a boutique registry. Obviously the FAA is open to everybody. So we're not, we know that we're not a fit for everyone and maybe particularly smaller operators that don't necessarily have the budget to kind of afford our services. But we kind of cater to like the higher clientele that don't really care that much about the fees aspect. Mm -hmm. Not that it's not an important part into the registration decision, but that we'll prefer kind of the service that we offer over necessarily kind of uh, a lower fee. Gotcha. And so, you know, you're um, 
definitely speed is a big thing. So you're not <laughs> waiting. Uh, we know that the the government is um, notorious for making people wait. Yeah. And, you know, you're kind of at the mercy of whatever is in, in front of you in line, right? Exactly. What other types of um, benefits are you delivering to your customers in regards to like service? And um, maybe you could talk a little bit about the, the safety side of things. Yep. Of course. So our regulations are in line with ICAO. Okay. Um, Aruba is in like a unique position where it's part of the Netherlands, but it's an autonomous country. Uh, so while it has connections to the EU, it doesn't follow EASA regulations, but it's also on this side of the world. So it's also very close to the FAA and has a good relationship with the US. Okay. So our regulations are kind of a hybrid of both FAA and EASA. Um, but I would say mostly streamlined with ICAO standard. Okay. So while we do offer service, we always say like the only way for us to provide the best service to you is for also to have the highest safety record. Because if our safety record goes down, basically we're not able to provide you the service that you guys are accustomed to. So we pride ourselves on having like up-to-date regulation. One of the things that are easier for us or registries that are kind of privatized like us is that we're not limited to government budgets. So we're able to update our regulations as things kind of come out in the industry, as things are changing. When COVID happened, we immediately kind of did a sit down with our uh, inspectors because we have both in-house inspectors in Aruba, but we also have inspectors around the world that have worked at different civil aviations. Okay. And we kind of consult with them often and so when the pandemic happened we kind of sat down and we're like okay we still need to service our aircrafts and we still need to make sure that they're airworthy without traveling so how do we do that so within those two months that kind of the world was shut down we came up with uh, virtual uh, telecommunication uh, regulations that allowed us to basically FaceTime or Zoom with the operator and the maintenance facility to still be able to make sure that the aircrafts were flying. Okay. Because uh, we had a lot of aircrafts that even though might not necessarily have been carrying passengers, were doing like cargo, cargo yeah, and sure. um, PPE supplies, stuff sure. like that. Sure. So we still needed to make sure that they were airworthy. So that's also a difference between us and the FAA. So when you register your aircraft with the FAA, uh, they don't really do a C of A inspection, a Certificate of Airworthiness Inspection, right. we do it annually. So we make sure that our aircrafts are always up to date. Um, they're always an airworthy standard. They're following all the ADs that they need to follow. So that also helps with the resale value of the aircraft. Okay. Because it makes sure that the aircraft is, again, up to date with what it needs to be. Um, and it keeps our aircraft safe. It's a good opportunity also to like speak with the operator if they have any questions or any doubts, any concerns in terms of the way that the operation is being managed or issues with the manuals, it's a good time to like speak with our consultants that know different operators, have worked with different operations, maybe bigger operations, and can give them advice. So we like to have a kind of our inspectors on site for our clients to think of them more like advisors sure. than necessarily someone that's just coming and auditing them. Gotcha. Like a lot of times, like we want them to feel that they can ask questions and be open. We've um we we tell our clients often like if you're in a problem or if there's something going on we'd rather you reach out to us than you try to solve it yourselves and we find out about it later because mm -hmm. most of the time we could probably come up with 
some solution for you that's within the regulations that is safe for everybody. Gotcha. Um, so we try to build those relationships with our client and that level of trust with our clients. Okay. Is there a, uh, a particular geographic location that your customers are typically found in or based out of? Yeah, we have a lot of clients in Europe. I would say the majority are in Europe. We also have a bulk of the clients in like the Asia Russian region. Okay. Um, so actually Aruba broke into the Russian market really early on. So I think you asked when Aruba got founded. We got yeah. founded yeah. <laughs> in 1995, sorry. Okay. Uh, when Aruba uh, was actually downgraded to category two by the mm -hmm. FAA. So, well, the registry didn't get founded in 1995. The partnership with us and the registry got founded in 1995 because okay. uh, they brought us in as consultants to kind of boost them back to category one, which we did in six months. Okay. And we basically stayed on for the project to help manage the registry along with the DCA. Back, I think, in the early 2000s is when we broke into the Russian market. Uh, so we have a lot of clients uh, based out of Russia, based out of Kazakhstan. We had some clients based in in Tajikistan, sorry, that's a hard one to yeah. say. <laughs> um, so I think Bermuda has definitely capitalized much more on the Russian market. I think they have um, a lot of the Russian airliners are registered in Bermuda. And that was particularly because back in the early 2000s, Aruba was capped by the government. So we were only able to register 90 aircrafts okay. at a time, which when uh, the Russian market kind of got opened up, we were limited to what we could register gotcha. and Bermuda got the bulk of the um, registrants. Okay. So thankfully we don't have that cap anymore. Okay. <laughs> and and so tell me like, okay, um, Aruba got downgraded to a category two. Tell me what, what is, what does category one and two mean? Okay. And now, you know, how now you're back upgraded to a category one. Yeah. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for your customers? So the FAA does an audit, which is the ISSA audit um, that they do yearly to kind of the nations that are flying into the US. Mm -hmm. um, or not, sorry, not yearly, like on a regular basis. Okay. Um, they audit them based on FAA regulations or how they comply. So of course, like we aren't exactly the same as FAA regulations. But basically, they're just checking to make sure like how well your regulation complies okay. so that if the aircrafts are flying into the U.S. airspace are basically as compatibly safe as the ones that are registered in. Um, so back in 1994, 93, I'm not exactly sure when that happened. I was pretty young. We want to hold you to it. Yeah. <laughs> Aruba got downgraded to category two. And okay. what that means is basically your existing operations. So if you have airlines already flying into the U.S., they can continue flying, okay. but nothing new can be added. So there's no new growth into what can be added um, from Aruba flying into the U.S. There is category three, which basically means like everything is ceased. You can't do anything in okay. the U.S. And then I think like banned i don't i think you could just be banned completely but okay <laughs> i don't know i don't know of anyone that's a really completely banned maybe like iran i guess okay um so usually you have countries either two or one um category one means that like you're at the same safety level that is acceptable to the mm -hmm. fa and you can fly in add new aircrafts um all that stuff so what happened was aruba got down ready to category two Basically, because their regulations were extremely outdated, um, 
And they just didn't have the government resources to really kind of put money into rewriting regulations. The inspectors were not that knowledgeable because Aruba got um, became an independent autonomous state in the 80s. Okay. So prior to that, Aruba, I guess, had category one status through the Netherlands because the Netherlands was IASA and sure. FA recognizes IASA. So when they became independent, uh, the FA came to audit them. And obviously their regulations, once they became independent, had to be their own. Mm. And unfortunately, just the level of knowledge wasn't there to be able to write sure. these regulations. Um, so which is when they brought brought us in and brought our consultants in that kind of helped them get up to date and have continued helping them, which is why we haven't been downgraded since. Okay. And so, you know, for, for um, let's say I was to buy a new aircraft and wanted to register yeah. uh, with you, what's that, what does that process look like? So usually someone just kind of sends us an email to initiate the contact. And mm. we kind of start off by asking like a few basic questions, like where is the base of operation, the home base, what kind of intent you're trying to do, whether it's private or commercial. Mm -hmm. And based on that, we kind of start to filter how we're going to answer your questions. Uh, just to keep it simple, we'll do private. Uh, we will send you kind of our checklist of things that are required for okay. you to kind of submit to us, like normal things like lease agreements, bill of sale, like who the operator is, that kind of stuff. Um, once all that paperwork is submitted, we basically just review it and send you your certificates and you're good to go. Okay. And I know that, you know, we, we were talking a little bit about the types of aircraft that are registered and you have some pretty unique aircraft that are, that are <laughs> under, uh, under the registry of Aruba. Um, what are, what, what type of customers do you have and, uh, what, what's maybe the coolest aircraft that, that you've come across? The well, I don't know. There's a lot of them to choose from. <laughs> yeah, my I, I go between I think um, P4XTL, which is Comlux's triple seven. Okay, that is owned by um, is that Crystal Air? Crystal Air Cruises. Okay. So yeah. if if they if you guys are familiar with Crystal Cruises, they basically yeah. took their model of like luxury cruise ships and did it in the sky. Mm -hmm. um, so they're competing with the Four Seasons aircraft that does like air tours. Okay. Uh, so it's a really cool aircraft. Actually, I think Kim Kardashian uh, chartered it to okay. go somewhere <laughs> with her friends. It was like for her birthday during the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> I don't remember where she went, but she chartered yeah. the aircraft. It's a really, really cool aircraft. So it's basically a 777 that got completely gutted and reconfigured to be like a VIP aircraft. Yeah, sure. Um, so that's one of my favorites. Um, I think also another one, we tend to not say the registration marks sure. or who the client <laughs> is. Comics, I don't care because they've advertised yeah, it everywhere. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the other one that I think is a really cool aircraft is this one that we did for a client based in Asia that has like a gym. He's a he's a young uh, owner. Um, okay. He's really into fitness. Okay. So we certified his aircraft with like a gym with like free weights and all that stuff. Um, that's a really beautiful aircraft. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that one and XTL might be my favorite. But then I also have like smaller aircrafts that I like to. There's this one that is the paint job on it is like amazing. It's basically like camouflage. It's okay. really, really cool. <laughs> cool. Nice. Yeah. So just, you know, back, backing up a little bit, um, you're now the, you're now the CEO of, uh, of the business. Tell me, how did you get in, you know, how did you get introduced to the business? How did you, what, what, what's your journey been to get <laughs> up to this point? Um, for those of you, for some, some of you might know that 
the registry was founded and started by my father. Yeah. Uh, so basically, that's kind of how I got started. Okay. I've been going to the office since I was a kid. Yeah. Answering the phones. If you called back then, I might have picked up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I didn't actually start working until 2013. Um, okay. And that was it was kind of more of a favor and I never really thought I would stay mm -hmm. um, with the company. So in 2012, my father expanded the company and opened the San Marino Aircraft Registry. Okay. So prior to me working with Aruba, my brother was working with my dad, I believe at that time for like a little bit under 10 years. Okay. Um, he's significantly older. So he's um, 11 years older than me. Okay. Because... If not, he'd be pretty young working yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. So he started working there and he's been with my dad for a while. And then they decided to expand onto San Marino because it was always my dad's dream okay. to kind of grow the registry and have like several different um, registries. I know that we've always tried to find someplace in Asia, but Asia is a little complicated because the governments aren't super keen to doing kind of private public partnerships. Yeah, sure. Um, and we need like a specific venue that kind of allows us the freedom to consult with them on regulations that work for our clientele. Okay. So um, we do a lot of consulting, like my, our company aside from doing registries does a lot of consulting to countries that like are in need. Um, so we've always tried to look for something in Asia, but just didn't work out. So he started looking in Europe just because it's a counterpart to Aruba. Sure. And um, we've looked in places like Monaco. I think there's still some communication with Monaco. Um, and then San Marino just came about. Uh, they kind of emailed us and they went, kind of scouted it out, and there was nothing really set up. And we kind of left them with like a plan. I was like, if you guys are able to take these steps, then we can come back and like invest in mm -hmm. the registry. Sure. Um, and they did to, I think all of our surprise okay. <laughs> actually, cause we, they initially went, I think back in 2008 um, okay. and kind of left an outline for them of what it is that they needed to do for us to be able to go back in. And actually in 2012, right before my brother got married, they called uh, my dad saying like, okay, we're ready for you guys to come. So my dad and brother spent the, their honeymoon or his honeymoon together <laughs> in San Marino. <laughs> um, and it That's actually, commitment. Huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm always, I always joke that I'm going to be having a baby and my client's going to be like, oh, can you please get this aircraft <laughs> completed and we'll find a way. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the thing that we always tell our clients uh, that we're like 24 seven, like we, all of them, if not most of them, have, like, our personal cell phone numbers. Mm -hmm. um, like I was saying before, like, we really tried to build, like, relationships. Um, we we call our clients, like, our extended family. Mm -hmm. And, like, we do have really close relationships, not with every single one. Sure. But with the majority, like, most of them are coming to my wedding next month. Okay. Things like that. So, like... Um, and they, congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so, we... It's just, it's a different level of relationship that we have with our clients. Mm. So while it is commitment, I guess at the same time, it's just kind of how we operate. Mm -hmm. And it's usually what we tell people when they come to work at the office that like, while we don't require for you to be 24 seven working, it's just kind of the nature of our business is like these weird kind of crazy hours sure. that you work just to kind of service all your clients. Especially being in uh, Miami, it's really hard when you have clients in Asia. So when I was working a lot with our Asian clients, I would kind of 
uh, do some of my work, kind of go home, eat dinner, and then like start again, mm -hmm. like at nine o'clock, so that I could kind of be available to them for a certain amount of hours. Sure. So I guess for us, it's just kind of like second nature. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I, you know, I had told you, you know, I I had worked in kind of a family business for about twelve years or so before you know we we uh, made some changes last year, but. Um, you know, it, it was always different, um, you know, and people think, oh, you know, it's family, it must be easy, um, which wasn't the case for yeah. me, right? <laughs> um, you know, I think in, in a lot of cases, we were held to a different standard. Um, how has that been working, you yeah, know, it's, directly with It can be father? hard. It can be really tricky, especially because um, we are very different personalities okay. and, <laughs> we are obviously different generations mm -hmm. so he's used to certain things that like i'm like no what are you talking about yeah. <laughs> so that so it's been it's also been a really big learning experience in my because i guess in my childhood he was always traveling and always just gone and kind of understanding that aspect and being like oh, okay like i understand now why you have to do the things that you did mm -hmm. um but also i think him seeing me not just as his daughter but also as an employee and like learning to trust each other. Sure. Because um, also I think naturally, like as a kid, you don't want to take your parents' advice sometimes or you want to try things on your own. And sometimes, while I might not necessarily agree with things that he says, like I've learned to kind of maybe take a step back and listen and sure. be like, okay, like you might have a point on certain things. Um, so I think it's just been a big learning experience for both of us. It definitely wasn't easy and isn't easy all, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the times, but it's been nine years now. So I think we've kind of gotten into like a groove where yeah. we, for the most part, stay out, e stay out of each other's way. And like he kind of trusts my decision making, mm -hmm. uh, I think, a lot more now. Um, also, I think there was a big shift from when I started working and kind of didn't really take the job seriously. Because like I said, it kind of was, I, I just did it as a favor to kind of fill in the gap for my brother and really I got brought in as like marketing because mm -hmm. um, my background is in art and okay. art management and kind of like PR marketing. So nothing to do with aviation. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just got brought in to kind of just like make an image for the registry. Okay. Um, but as I was kind of like creating the image, I realized that it was very, very difficult to make an image for something that you had no idea about like I didn't sure. know what we did. So I would yeah. be writing press releases and I'm like, does this make sense? Like, yeah. <laughs> So as I kind of started learning and just by being his daughter, I think was easy in the sense where like I would just be with him, like be allowed to be in the room and kind of learn things. Mm -hmm. um, I just got more interested in it. And I'm naturally very like, um, I don't know what the right word is, but I guess I'm naturally very like a go-getter, very mm -hmm. motivated. Like I don't like to sit still, which is probably why working from home is like yeah, death killing to you. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like naturally I was like, okay, I need to learn more. I want to do more. So I think when he started to see that change and mm -hmm. see that like I actually was kind of more interested is when I think things shifted. Okay. Um, but again, like it's it's not easy and there's days where we definitely want to kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, I think that we figured out like a good rhythm. Um, and like I said, I think we both, like I, I learned learn a lot from him and tend to listen to him. Mm -hmm. And also he kind of trusts my opinion yeah. a lot more now. Sure. So, you know, as you've been on this journey, you said you've been there for eight or nine, nine years. Nine years, 2013. Nine years. Was it nine? What, yeah. So what, what have been some of like the 
would you say maybe the the big obstacles that you've overcome during that time? Um, one of the biggest obstacles I think is my age, and that's just with time. Obviously, mm-hmm. when I started working there, I was twenty three. Yeah, and being twenty three and a female in aviation kind of sucks. <laughs> 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 no one really respects you at all. Yeah. Um. So I think that was one of the things that I had to overcome because mm-hmm. um, definitely like, for example, I like everyone calls me Alex, like my whole life. Everyone's called me Alex. I have to sign my email signatures, Alexandria, because people would assume I was a guy. OK. And they would call in <laughs> asking for Alex and be like, no, you're not. You're not the person I need to talk to. I'm like, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I am. <laughs> so things like that, um, which I think just well, obviously I've gotten older. So that yeah. has helped. And um, just being around uh, I think just people realizing that, like, I do know what I'm talking about. Um, but that just comes, again, with time and being yeah. more like. Yeah, I think that once you, you know, once you really start to understand the business, the industry, the the clients, all of that, I think once you know what you're talking about. It makes then, things easier. Then the respect comes, right? Exactly. I was, I was in a similar type of position where I was, I think, 22 when I started going out and trying to sell, you know, directors of maintenance on, hey, we're going to change the way that you've been doing (laughs) things for the last 30 years, right? And so um, it took, you know, it was definitely uncomfortable doing that at first. And you start talking with these people and you learn a lot more about what makes them tick, what's important to them. And with every trip that I went out on and every, you know, meeting, I got more confident in that and to, you know, to the point where I was, you know, maybe 25 or 26 and it were, really wasn't too much of a concern for me. But exactly. it's just about building that respect. Yeah. Yeah. I think irrelevant of your gender. I think it's just, like you said, just the time and just like being yeah. in people's face and people getting to know you because a lot of at least in my part of the business, a lot of it is relationship-based and Mm -hmm. people wanting to do business with people that they know, that they feel comfortable with. So it was a little bit easy in terms of like getting a foot into the door because of my father and my brother. Yeah. But then at the same time, I definitely still had to like make a presence for myself. Like there's clients that now like call me and ask me for advice that back then would not even acknowledge that I existed. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Uh, so sure. I think that's probably one, been one of the biggest obstacles. Um, I think a big obstacle was also uh, breaking up the way that the office did things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess our office was very old school in the sense that like it was very like department based, mm-hmm. um, which once I started to get a better understanding of how we operated, I thought made no sense. Okay. Um, and while we still have departments, I we did a lot of work on cross training everybody so that everybody was aware sure. of what the other person was doing. Because while the person who's processing the facilities doesn't necessarily line up with the person who's processing the validations for the pilots or the person who's registering the plane, all of that needs to kind of be in place and come together for the operator. Sure. So a lot of times everything was kind of disjointed. And I thought like this it would just make much more sense and it would flow easier. And it would just also be one person emailing the client versus three different people mm-hmm. in the company emailing them. Uh, just it made the workflow much better. And this in like the service that we provided also just made more sense in that yeah. way. So doing that was not a fun task because a lot of the people in the office, like we have a good uh, retention of, of our employees. Like mm-hmm. a, there's not a high turnover. So 
one of our like our VP has been with the company since it started, for mm-hmm. example. So she was very used to like this is the way things are done. And when I was taking like clients away from her, she kind of like panicked a little bit. And I was like, trust me, it'll be okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, she was so used to like just this is how I do it. Um, but now everybody loves it also because it motivates everybody else to kind of want to get more involved and understand the business. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the people just knew the licensing part of the business and had no idea who the rest of the clients were or uh, how to even register an aircraft. So we would bring them to air shows and they couldn't really talk to clients or pitch clients on anything because all they knew was like that that one part of the business. Right. So kind of doing that cross training really, really helped. But it was a rough transition yeah, sure. people were not happy with me when we first did that <laughs> now I, I i understand that and it's um you know diving in and making kind of these bigger changes can yeah. always be a, a big obstacle for you um and i'm sure when you started this and uh dove in and you know you we were talking about your age i'm sure people were like what is she doing she doesn't know yeah. what you're doing whatever um but you know i, I think that in taking more of a, um, let's say, a dynamic approach where tasks and certain things flow better through an organization, I was I've always been a big believer in that, and the, not really having these like really highly segmented tasks exactly. or jobs, and um, making it where people can you know easily move between tasks and help customers. Um, I think it also creates a. a good opportunity for career progression. Right. Um, so, you know, we've had many instances where people start in customer service and then they move into sales or they move into product or, you know, whatever it may be. And you don't really get that opportunity if, if you're just everything stuck. is yeah. just, you know, same task, you know, every single day. And the other thing that I noticed also was when, uh, when I first started working there is like everyone depended on an answer from my father. So if he was traveling or just unavailable, yeah. things would just halt because mm, no yeah. one wanted to like make a decision mm-hmm. without him. And that just never made any sense because the nature of our business is travel. We're constantly traveling, like obviously sure. not during the <laughs> pandemic, but on normal years, we're usually always gone. And I was like, I don't want people to depend on me in that aspect. Like, yes, there's certain things that like only I or him can make a decision on. Sure. But if it's like a routine day-to-day thing, like I wanted to instill the confidence that they can make those decisions, mm-hmm. uh, that they can make like a su- certain level of discounts for clients, things like that, that we kind of changed and implemented. So it wasn't just that like if he wasn't available or I wasn't available, like everything would just get halted. Yeah. Um, but I think that also comes with just like kind of younger generation mentality because my dad has this idea that like if we're not in the office like working for home for him is like (laughs) no one's working everyone's just like in their pajamas watching tv uh so like he has this mentality where like everyone needs to like be there nine to five and like in front of the computer and like just sticking to their task and Mm. he makes all the decisions Uh, so i think changing that and getting the employees to incorporate like their ideas and their way of doing things really kind of just brought a different dynamic to the mm-hmm. office that I think really kind of changed every, the way that we would deal with the DCA, uh, the Department of Aviation, and the way that we deal with our clients and with ourselves. Because I don't also believe in like not knowing what to do. So I 
like everything that my client that my employees do i've done it mm -hmm. and know exactly what they're doing um because sure. i think like as a good manager leader like i need to know what you guys are doing even if i'm not doing it on a daily basis mm -hmm. i need to have done it already sure um and i think that's really important too because that's something that i think not to like bash my dad or anything yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i think that like he wasn't that wasn't his strong suit like he's very much like a salesperson like mm -hmm. he's just like the face of the company like pitching stuff but he he doesn't do like the day-to-day -day tasks mm -hmm. but i think in order to improve the process you need to know what the process is like the other sure. thing that we that i kind of saw was an issue was the amount of emails that we're sending to clients when we're doing a registration. I was like, it's overwhelming, especially like for me who is traveling. And if I don't see my phone in like a set amount of time, I'll get like a hundred emails and keeping track of the progress of a project through email mm -hmm. is very difficult. Yeah, so sure. we kind of created a whole online database system uh, that is like a project manager, but like on a system that we work with, the departments of innovation works with and the client works with. So I think that's one of the biggest benefits of just kind of, bringing in like this newer mentality with te like helping technology letting technology help us basically mm -hmm. sure and and so you know i know the um we had talked a little bit about the pandemic and it changed you know some of the you guys have been working from home now yeah. it looks like hopefully we're kind of on the we're kind hopefully. of exiting Fingers this pandemic <laughs> <laughs> um but how how does it change your business and maybe has it changed any of the outlook for you know moving forward um so thankfully like it while it has affected aviation thankfully our part of aviation didn't really get all that affected from yeah. the pandemic um if anything it improved private aviation because mm -hmm. a lot of people that had the uh the ability to buy an aircraft but maybe in the past were chartering chose to kind of move in that direction sure. um also with kind of all these changes in terms of like shopping from home and like Amazoning stuff, it became like a huge business for cargo operations. Mm -hmm. So we've been getting tons and tons of requests for cargo operators um, that we never before did. Mm -hmm. So that was a big one for us as well. And then we kind of created a system where we can do audits both in person and virtually that helps our clients in terms of uh, financially also because there's still places like in Asia that you just can't get into. Right. So we're not halting their operation, but still keeping them safe and just kind of creating a hybrid system where even once the pandemic is long over, uh, we kind of keep that in place where if we don't need to be there, we can kind of do a virtual audit mm -hmm. um, and just kind of merging the two. We did a lot of talks with our inspectors about whether we should go fully virtually and not send anyone to travel at all or whether we need someone there. Um, and we kind of came up with the consensus that while it's important to have someone there, we kind of are doing like a hybrid model where it depends on the the credibility of the operator. So it's kind of like a point system. So okay. if we send someone out um, and the plane is doing great, whatever, and we send someone out again and the same thing the next year, we can probably skip a year and do it virtually. Okay. So it incentivizes the clients to one, like keep the aircraft in a good condition. Mm -hmm. um, and also like, it's just, it allows us an easy way to, for a win-win for both the client and us in terms of like the safety aspect right. of it. And the client gets to save money in terms of not having to send someone out. 
gotcha. to see the aircraft. So we, that was something that kind of probably would have never been a conversation that we had prior to the existence mm -hmm. of the pandemic. We probably would have never gotten to that point. Right. Uh, so I think it did facilitate us in kind of opening that aspect of mm -hmm. of the regulations and realizing, oh, there is a gap here and there's something that we can capitalize on through technology. Sure. Yeah. So, and, and I know, um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of changes in aviation around the pandemic. I know one of the other topics that a lot of people are talking about is around sustainability. And I know we had talked a little bit about you know, what you guys are doing in regards to sustainability. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. So we're making a quarterly newsletter about like kind of just talking about sustainability within the industry. Um, like I was mentioning to you earlier, I think a lot of people get stuck on sustainability and how to get started because mm -hmm. uh, they think that they need to take these huge steps and kind of get overwhelmed. Right. And the point of this or the newsletter that we're creating is kind of highlighting like smaller changes that companies are making mm -hmm. to show that like it's okay to like even just switch from uh, plastic bottles to like reusable, uh, right. reusable water bottles. Um, things like that that like might seem like you're not making enough of an effort or mm -hmm. not making a difference but you are if everyone takes enough small steps. Sure. Uh, it does end up making a difference in the grand scheme. So that's kind of the point of the newsletter. And also we felt like if we were going to be putting out this newsletter, we probably need to be making some steps of our own. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're definitely making steps in the office to be more green. Uh, we eliminated water bottles, I think about two years ago, if I'm not mistaken, um, in the office. So we got everybody kind of a swell water bottle and we're like, here you go. Yep. Um, and we did an initiative this year where instead of sending our clients like physical Christmas cards, we gave them a digital version and actually gifted them a tree, which they can keep track of. It okay. was in partnership with EcoMatcher. Um, and basically they can track the life cycle of the tree. And it's kind of cool. We have like a forest. I think it's in Indonesia, I think. <laughs> I'm not really, don't, don't quote me on that. Yeah. But we have a forest. I, I know that we do that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I know, you know, like there's a lot of talk about electric, you know, electric yeah. aircraft and sustainable aviation fuel and things like that. And so, I think for a lot of operators, they're saying, well, like, you know, what are we going to do? Get rid of our aircraft exactly. or, or something like that. But really, there's a lot of steps that could be taken before that that can make an impact. Exactly. And that's kind of the point of this newsletter is to show people that, like, you don't have to kind of have, like, the Tesla of aircraft. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> you can do other things that support in sustainability. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of what we wanted to do. Sure. And so looking at, you know, we're just kicking off 2022 here. Um, what are some plans for for this year or maybe some other things that you guys are getting involved in? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest plan is moving into our new office. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I think just trying to get back to normal, trying to get back to traveling. Um, mm. We prior to kind of the pandemic, we were working with the government of Malaysia okay. to help them get upgraded again to category one because they got downgraded. Um, so probably get, getting back to those types of projects mm -hmm. were like more regulatory consultancy projects. Also, um, 
just we really want to try to visit our clients because we feel like we haven't seen them in yeah, a while sure. so maybe doing some kind of more in-person meetings with them just kind of catching up on catching up with them we are going to be very busy with a lot of uh, new aircraft um, commercial operators that are coming onto the registry so okay. I think we have a couple meetings right now in January and February about two new operators that are passenger cargo kind of mix um, okay so yeah, so we have a couple things in the works. Cool. I know you had mentioned that um, you guys are also doing a scholarship yeah. for Embry Riddle. Um, so yeah, tell me about that. We partnered uh, with Embry Riddle last year, kind of as an initiative of when I became CEO. That's kind of what I wanted to give back to the community. Okay. Uh, so it's something that I had been thinking about for a while, but it never seemed like the right time to kind of initiate it and so when I when we did it finally announced that I was going to be the CEO I thought it was a good opportunity to like I said to kind of give back to the community um, that I just always felt that was very welcoming to me mm -hmm. um, which might not always be the case for all women in the industry sure. so we wanted to support kind of a younger uh, the younger generation of women kind of branching into the aviation industry so it's a scholarship that supports her through the life of her bachelor's at Embry-Riddle. And also alongside with the financial aspect, we also have reached out to her to kind of do like mentorships with her and introduce her to different um, people in the industry. So anything that she needs in terms of an internship or just kind of making connections, we've kind of told her that like we're available to do that hopefully once things settle down we have an office we can invite her sure <laughs> we can invite her down <laughs> to meet in person um yeah. but we've done kind of like interviews with her so also people get to know who she is as well very cool yeah, yeah that's awesome um and you know there's a lot of people talking about oh supporting and bringing people into this industry and you guys are really doing that in a in a big way yeah, I think it's really important uh, to kind of explain all the different types of jobs within this industry. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think aviation, they think like pilot or flight attendant right. or mechanic, but they don't really kind of see what else there could be. Um, and there's so many different things that you can do. And like I said, you don't necessarily have to have an aviation background because right. I definitely don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's just a lot of different things that you can kind of break into. Um that I think people don't realize exists and, and giving people that, that opportunity. Because uh, I don't know if everybody remembers, but prior to pandemic, there was a huge pilot shortage and yeah. the industry was very, very worried about what was going to happen. Um, I guess the pandemic kind of helped out in that aspect. I think temporarily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think why not tap into a whole segment of people that you haven't really reached out to? Sure. Um, so I think that's it's really important as an industry to do that and kind of talk about it and talk about all the different jobs that you can have mm -hmm. and like both creative or technical or whatever, because there's a lot of um, really cool aspects. And if you are more creative in terms of like certifying the aircraft and doing the interiors and all that kind of yeah, stuff, sure. that I think people, again, don't realize really that it exists. Yeah, for sure. No, that's that's awesome. Um, you know, we've been talking with a lot of different people about these types of initiatives and um, getting involved in, you know, even down through high schools and colleges and reaching out to people that are in other industries yeah. to get them involved. So uh, I think that there's a lot of good stuff that's going on there. And I think that today there's more opportunity for exposure to the yeah. industry um, through 
you know, social media and YouTube and um, it's easier, you know, than ever to, to get noise to, out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so um, it's cool to see what what you're doing for that. We and, try like yeah. <laughs> obviously we're a smaller company in the in regards to creation but we try to do like our part and really make an effort um we also have teamed up with like inspire hong kong okay where it's like uh different different industries uh that come into kind of elementary or high schools and they talk to young kids about what they do in the industry obviously we've done it virtually because sure (laughs) we can't get into hong kong but we've done stuff like that or posted things on their social media to kind of inspire younger kids because i think it does start Mm-hmm. with the younger generation just seeing it as an option and also something that i've talked a lot about with different kind of um people in the industry is getting parents also to understand because yeah. a lot of times parents are a big driver not always but they can be a big driver in sure. your decisions so getting parents to realize that this is an option for their kids as well mm-hmm. yeah for sure well cool you know, thank you for uh, for making the drive of over. Um, it was good to meet you in person, and uh, it's cool to see you know your your journey and <laughs> uh, and what you're doing. So I appreciate you coming over. Um, where can people uh, Where can people find you and learn more about Registry of Aruba? So we're pretty big on social media. So if you want to do uh, the Registry of Aruba on okay. Instagram, you'll find us. I think we also have a Facebook. LinkedIn, um, and then again, the registryofaruba.com okay. the website. Cool. Yep. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming over, and uh, we'll do it again. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye.